Hello and welcome to Longevity Now. It is the place for all your news and views about life extension from around the world. I have been advocating for life extension and rejuvenation for over a decade now. Every single year, there are hundreds of news headlines and research reports that proclaim aging is soon to be reversed. I've grown tired of the hype. I'm getting old, and there's nothing reasonable I can yet do to reverse the trend. But maybe soon. In this episode of Longevity Now, I interview Liz Parrish, a founder of BioViva. She made headlines last year by attempting a couple of gene therapy experiments on herself. Results should start being made public by the end of this year. I suspect it is the beginning of a tidal wave of self-experimentation that will move the needle on life extension progress. Liz Parrish, welcome to the Longevity Now podcast. Thank you for having me. I've been looking forward to doing this podcast for some time. Well, you and BioViva made big headlines last year by trying an experimental rejuvenation therapy on yourself. Could you explain in a little bit of detail what was done? Right. So first and foremost, I'm a technology hunter. So I am trying to hunt out and vet these therapeutics and bring them to market, the therapeutics that uh, show the most benefit to conquering biological aging and potentially curing childhood disease as well. So we looked at uh, two of the most promising therapies that we could find, and one of them was a therapeutic that was already working. It's a myostatin inhibitor. It's the insertion of a gene that essentially creates a protein that blocks myostatin and helps to increase muscle mass uh, by doing so. So you are kind of have a, a less regulated uh, muscle growth, not unregulated, but less regulated. And um, this is a great treatment for sarcopenia. This would uh, help with frailty that kills 7% of the population in the United States. A lot of people don't realize that. And the second treatment, of course, was a telomerase induction. And this was kind of the big splash. You know, it had never been tried in a human body in the way that we had done it. And uh, we were excited about moving that forward. We felt that this therapy really would show the most promise over time. And uh, we're excited to, you know, see the results and the data that is slowly streaming in over the next uh, 12 to 18 months. Okay, well, this next question is kind of similar to what you have already mentioned. Telomeres have long been studied. Their role in fundamental aging has been debated. What particular theory or research compelled you to attempt telomerase activation on yourself? What sold you on the fact that it was worth the risk? Right. So there's lots of theories to aging. There's really, there's only results. And that, that's the only thing that's going to change uh, the theories to aging. So I know that a lot of people spend their time uh, thinking about the different mechanisms of aging. But we need to actually start getting human results and what affects those mechanisms. Okay, so the results and the research that was done by Ron DePino and Maria Blasco, of course, were the most uh, promising uh, backdrop for those therapeutics. Uh, they had, in fact, done what we were looking to do. They had worked in human tissues. They had worked in human hearts. This is potentially the one therapeutic that we can move forward with now that has shown the most uh, promise of, of addressing biological aging. It may not, in fact, tackle everything, and that's why we're doing dual gene therapies. 
this is, you know, new and, and cutting edge. We're, I guess we're cutting edge in a lot of ways, but uh, we think that we're solely based in really sound thinking. But if we don't do something now, we're going to die of degeneration. We're going to die of cellular aging. So I appreciate all of the different theories of aging, and they all need to be tackled, but we need to see what will knock out most of the symptoms. You know, if you really get into the mechanisms of the cell, it becomes a spaghetti monster of, of nightmare intrusion of different pathways. But it's possible by using a, a gene that's that's such a good cellular regulator like telomerase, we can knock a bunch of those out at one time, and then we need to hit the next one. So at no point have we ever claimed that this will be the holy grail, but we have claimed that we have started, and that's what's the most important. Believe it or not, some people around the web are contesting whether or not you actually performed the gene therapy, thinking it's some sort of money-making snake oil ploy. What testing will prove your experiment? Well, there, there's a myriad of testing going on. Some of our scientific advisors are doing some of it. So first of all, you want to do an antibody test. You want to uh, prove that, in fact, that you have the antibodies for the viruses that you've taken. And then you want to go on from there to see that you actually are making uh, upregulation of a protein. And you want to show evidence that, of course, what we want to see is that it's actually working. And uh, I would I would have been the same way. I would have questioned it, but uh, certainly there's no one more anxious for the results than I am. I mean, I can say I did it. <laughs> we can say that we, we were in a medical office and we were delivered what we believed was gene therapy, that that gene therapy had in fact been tested to be active gene therapy, and it was in fact injected, and I in fact took every one of those injections. Now, whether, you know, now we have to see the results. Was it or was it not? I guess somebody could have lied to us down the road, but we certainly bought into the whole thing and took it very seriously. <laughs> sure. Okay. Besides the antibody tests, then you're going to be doing specific protein analysis. Absolutely. So we'll be looking for the proteins themselves. Uh, we'll be looking for elongation of telomeres. Uh, we are doing MRIs. I'm doing a myri myriad of blood work, looking at different organ functions, lipids, uh, inflammatory markers. We will have methylation testing done to the cells to see if, in fact, they're younger at the end of one year. I mean, it's, it's you know, there is, a, I, I'm drained uh, regularly well, of my fluids. <laughs> uh, and specifically, what will the MRI uh, test show? What are you hoping uh, for it to show? Right. So the MRI test will show muscle mass. It will show uh, re the reduction in white fat is what it should show. This is what it's shown in a past patient and the increase in uh, muscle mass itself. And so that's what we will uh, look for there. And you alluded to the fact that you are being drained regularly <laughs> for all of the testing. Uh, any yeah. results yet that you're willing to share or you are able to share? You know, we're not going to release anything for one year to 18 months, and, and it's for a couple of reasons. For one thing, we are a private company, and that we're willing to do this has been exceptional of us to be so transparent about what we're doing. The second reason is, is we really need the whole story. We, we don't want to find ourselves caught up in maybe what could be stem cell disruption from a series of injections or anything else. So I'm very careful when people ask me how I'm feeling. I'm, I'm clearly feeling great. I'm looking great. I have increased muscle mass. I have decreased white fat on my body. I sleep really well. But all of this is, it could be a placebo effect. And so I want to know as much as everybody else wants to know. So you already mentioned some things you think 
might be happening in regards to aging outside of longer telomeres and bigger muscles? Uh, any other physical changes you would expect, cellular or otherwise, from this experiment? Well, we hope to see the reversal in the visual of uh, visual effects of biological aging. Of course, we want to see that all the way through the body, and that's why our company is moving forward with the mindset that we have, is that we need to be youthful all the way through. We're not looking for an application that would just affect your skin or just your brain or just your liver because then you'll die of something else. So, you know, it has to be very conclusive testing, and, and if we miss a, miss a mark, we miss an organ, uh, we need to go back and ensure that we have a therapeutic that covers that. What do you have to say to the people who claim your experiment is just a circus show, that it is dangerous or not real medical <laughs> progress? <laughs> well, I think that life is dangerous. I think that uh, people are very risk adverse. I think that those the people that say those kind of things are probably somehow... They feel challenged by what we did, and so, of course, it's easiest to act out rather than to pay attention to the research and the data. When I have people question what we do, I basically send them the, the scientific papers if they're, they're capable of reading those and vetting the information, and then they tend to get really excited about it. I mean, we don't, we, you know, desperate times call for desperate measures. We, we don't really have time to solve this aging problem by, you know, taking everything very carefully and very slowly. Medical progress has been held up for too long, and our group does not stand for that. We are, we are a very active group of innovators that are very much in the set mindset of doing. And so, of course, that's going to challenge people mentally, and, and that's going to make them, you know, make statements. It's You know, the funny thing is, is it's always easier to doubt or put something down than it is to accept that it may be a reality, okay? And so, you know... Uh, I, I just tend not to get bothered by people who say things like that. You know, people question it's good. I say question everything. But, you know, name-calling and, and silliness is certainly not going to help get this job done. We're, we're a serious group. We're, we're a serious company. All right, next question. George Church, in one of his interviews, said that actually one of his students could prepare the materials in a couple of days in the lab, referring to the two gene therapies that you did. Mm -hmm. Why would the cost of such a treatment be in the hundreds of thousands of dollars, as you mentioned in the recent Singularity Hub interview? Yeah, so that's what we want to uh, find out. We, we're trying to raise money now to put together our own laboratories. We've got people who say that they can build these at a fraction of the cost. Though, well, it makes sense that the, the cost is so high. I mean, if you were uh, getting the first computer or the, the first Tesla automobile, it's an expensive process. Let's just say you were getting the first aspirin and somebody had to go and get it out of a plant and, and you know, run it, you know, 100 miles to deliver it to you and it was... And, inadequate quantity and you know this would be the, the first is always an expensive process this is new technology it's specialized information uh, the not everybody knows how to do it and each of the therapies are actually built uniquely for each person even though they're the same gene they're built for body type and, and it's a massive quantity of, of, of viral titer so um, you know this is this creates it's a new industry. Uh, this is just where the cost lies. Everyone wants to get those costs down, but at the same time, everybody wants a predictable product. So what we have to do is we have to do be, create a predictable product as the price comes down. And I think we can do that relatively quickly with investment. 
And next is a question submitted by a podcast listener in, ahead of time. In description of your treatments, there's the notion of one virus infecting one cell, yielding, of course, temporary results. Is there a way that you could make the treatment more traditionally viral, like virus replication, transfecting most of the cells in your body? Okay, so we don't want to use a virus that can replicate. And there's several reasons for that. One reason is we wouldn't want you to be infectious. Uh, the second reason, and, and you know, a lot of people say, well, why not? Why not make, you know, anti-aging infectious? But what will happen is your body will create antibodies to it. So, you know, we put in quadrillions of viral vectors where is you're talking about, you know, how about just 10 and then they replicate themselves and, and they build up. But your, your body would very likely knock them out. And then you would have uh, an immune reaction and you would be immune to that therapy. And so would the rest of the world in short order. Uh, so that's not really a great idea for, and another reason is, you know, people need to choose whether they want to take therapeutics or not. So we would not want a, a virus that was contagious in any way or could replicate itself because again, that will make your cells uh, tip off uh, that in fact, that's in your body and you will become immune to the virus. Makes sense, yes. Uh, another question submitted ahead of time. In your latest interview with Nikola Daneloff, you mentioned that animals with TERT therapy had larger brains for their age cohort. Was this systemically delivered or intracranially delivered therapy? And was the larger brain size due to slower atrophy of the brain or just plain neuroregeneration? So this was a Ron DePino's study at Harvard, and this actually did show the, the regrowth of the brain in pre-aged mice. So they actually had a gene knockout, and then the gene was re-delivered. With the gene therapy like Maria Blasco did, it is just a systemic um, injection. But mice are a little bit different than people, and we'll have to look into that. We actually have a specialized way of delivering to the brain. But as for the real details on specific research, we really need to ask one of our scientific advisors or our chief medical officer. And there you can get a better um, examination of the papers. Okay. Uh, another listener question. Your gene therapy experiment has ignited the imagination of many Longevity Now listeners and people around the world. Have you considered any other treatments that would activate different genes? Uh, have you thought about something in the future? You know, a lot of people are thinking, wow, now we can do this. What genes should we be, you know, transfecting or what genes we should be editing? I'm really excited that people are getting excited. I mean, this is this is fantastic. I want you to be excited. You know, I'm not asking you for your money. I'm asking for you to get excited. I'm asking you to demand access to these technologies. This is really these are really exciting times and yes of course you know i look at i look at other genes i look at um uh, other possibilities for humans uh we have to take things slow uh so that we can vet out if what we have is working but there are there are a myriad of benefits and in changes i would like to make and one of the really cool things that i'd like to do that 
I think is cool and I've always been kind of obsessed with is, you know, opening up the visual spectrum to, to more bandwidth of, of colors. You know, there are, there are animals that see in billions of colors and we only see in millions. And I think, what would the world look like? So I want you to get excited about those possibilities as much as I am. Uh, but I also want you to realize we have to really solve these really basic problems first. And these sort of stepping stones that BioViva is making are really exciting because it actually allows us to start the conversation with people who are outside of the realm of our thinking, okay? Like, you know, I see a lot of people try to start conversations with the world about, you know, becoming robotic or mind uploading. And a lot of the population can't see the steps that might make that happen or things that maybe get them excited about life. But if we talk about mitigating the diseases of aging, if we talk about a healthier society, a longer life of, you know, active uh, capability, I think then we can get people really excited. So, you know, I just ask definitely get excited. You know, we have to start writing the science fiction that will become science fact. You know, that's generally the way it is. We have to picture a world and then then bring that into creation. But, you know, get yourself versed in, you know, the basic science that we're doing. So, you can reach, you know, the, the average person. We really need to open this up to the whole world. We need the world to demand it. We need the world to realize that the minute we can kill Alzheimer's or heart disease, kidney failure and cancer, we've got to act, you know, really fast. We need to move these uh, technologies forward. And, and that's why I'm here. I am not the scientist. I am just the person who is determined to bring us to the next stage of the future as fast as we can because I'm tired of waiting. I'm tired of people being sick. I'm tired of losing people that I love and people that I've never even met and will never get to know because they're going to die. You know, we lose over 100,000 people a day. These are people that could all stand up for a therapy, uh, take a therapy and help us vet whether these will save your life and your children's lives. Next listener question. Do you see any conflict between your telomere gene therapy and potential cancer treatments that would be fairly similar? Some new cancer treatments are promising to block telomerase because many cancers upregulate telomerase, right? And you're doing exactly the opposite. Uh, mm -hmm. Do you foresee any conflict between those? Well, therapies? I think those cancer companies are going to definitely have to change the way they're doing business. Uh, when you and I all have our telomerase induction and we have it turned on in all of our cells, we certainly won't want to turn it off uh, for their therapeutic. But there's a lot of other really great uh, cancer therapeutics coming down the pipeline as well. And our doctor, uh, Dr. Williams, who's a co-owner of BioViva, has a fantastic one that cancer ablation and immunotherapy has a huge success rate and it's starting to go through testing in the U.S. Um, it's been worked in many patients. There's also T-car cell therapy, uh, which is a gene therapy. There will be other alternatives. The idea of blocking telomerase, I think, is going to be a bit outdated. On the topic of the two treatments, in a very broad qualitative view, the aspects of health improved by telomerase upregulation and myostatin inhibition would seem to overlap a bit. If your health is demonstrably improved, how will you know which treatment provided the biggest boost? 
Well, actually, we believe that these are, are going to be uh, very synergistic. These therapies will give us a promise of something that we didn't have before. And the therapies of the future will have probably even uh, more genes in them. I mean, if you look at CRISPR and what George Church is um, creating, you know, he, he's looking at editing several genes at one time. But let me tell you why these two work together. The folostatin does a fantastic job of, yeah, blocking myostatin, but it also opens up stem cell signaling, which has regenerative benefits. So our medical doctor, um, he took the therapy over five years ago. And I tell you, every year he looks better. He just looks uh, more youthful. It's it's very bizarre because I met him several years ago. And every time we see each other, he's like, I know, I know, everybody tells me that. Uh, but Here's the thing. If you open up signaling with your stem cells, uh, you are going to potentially expedite stem cell depletion which is an aging issue. What telomerase gives us is the ability to create stem cells that can infinitely divide. And also with the telomerase activated, we're hoping that it, it will uh, stabilize the, the chromosomes as well. So we are getting infinite division on really healthy cells. Okay, so do you have any specific tests in mind that are going to tease out which therapy created which beneficial outcome? Well, you know, we'll move forward as a company to use the, the therapeutics separately. We have, there are other companies that are looking at doing that too. So in a sense, uh, for different indications, obviously, but so in a sense, we'll be collecting data from different areas uh, that we're working in. Uh, but, you know, again, our doctor, Dr. Williams had worked with AIDS patients when, um, when AIDS was still a relatively new disease. And he saw a lot of drugs being given independently to the patients. Uh, you know, you just take this one and this one knocks out one part of the, the, the virus or the symptoms. And then people down the hall were taking another drug that hit on another area on another path. And he was really concerned because he said, you know, this needs to be a cocktail. We need to create a cocktail that's actually helping these patients and hitting more than one area of, in our case, biological aging, in their case, an infectious disease. And in fact, that's what happened. Uh, they brought therapeutics together that were cocktails and, and knocked out a myriad of the symptoms and really helped these patients now survive uh, long term. So, you know, our idea is to uh, try to uh, tackle this in as many ways as possible in one fell swoop. Again, we're not thinking that far out of the box. This is what CRISPR technology is promising to bring us. And these companies that are doing that um, hopefully will be doing that in the near future as well. The companies that are doing that are looking at knocking in several genes at one time, not just one gene for ultimate longevity. So we know that it's more uh, than one pathway, and, and we need to you know hit as many as possible, as safely as possible. Yes. Many people were just concerned uh, about being able to pinpoint which therapy was creating which health benefits. Oh, yeah. So down the road, there will be a lot of people that take these therapeutics independently. So Some we'll be able to find out, you figure, yeah. uh, oh. in further testing and when people do it independently. Yeah, absolutely. But together, they may uh, create such a synergistic effect that we see things that you don't see when you take them independently that, that each yep. alone won't okay. do. Uh, another member question, uh, do you consider the cosmetic effect? I know BioViva is looking to raise funds, of course, uh, even if, say, these therapies don't reverse aging in a meaningful way in vital organs. If they do a visual trick for skin, muscle, hair, overall look, that could 
yet provide a lot of funds due to the, say, Hollywood effect, right? Uh, where people would still want to use them if that makes them look better. Is that something you've thought about? Right. So I think that we have to look at that question really carefully. Um, of You know, the reason that people have chased cosmetics, they've chased a nip and a tuck, they've chased, uh, you know, Botox and human growth hormone and things like this is because they are attracted to a youthful state. And it's a normal part of the human psyche to be attracted to a youthful state because it is a less diseased state. So, you know, when I got into this, I was looking for cures for kids and I didn't initially fully get the longevity angle. But once I saw it, then I had to delve into the sort of the superficial, you know, what the hell does this mean at the superficial level? Because a lot of people who are interested just wanted to look youthful. And when kids were dying, that seemed really um, hard to swallow at first. But in fact, this youthful appearance is definitive to not being in a diseased state. So of course, we're not attracted to people in a higher diseased state. So I now understand why people would want that. But these therapeutics that we're using should be targeting your body all the way through. If there was a way to just target skin to show people the, the fantastic benefits and then say, how would you like to look like this all the way through your body? I don't think anyone would say no to that. I think that they would they would totally uh, be on board with that. And so, you know, the, what I'm saying is our desire for aesthetics are trying to defeat a diseased state. We are trying to look healthier and it's a natural thing to be attracted to a person in a healthier state. And that's what's exciting. So it is kind of exciting thinking that, you know, these people who are looking for a sort of Hollywood effect could in fact end up with a net benefit of true health all the way through their body and be people who could help spearhead this technology. In that sense, it's not really vain to want to look youthful and healthy. It's actually a natural state of humans. But again, just like us doing this test, it tends to, without putting deep thought into it, did the same thing to me, it tends to get our hairs on the, our neck up and get us kind of angry and be like, oh, you know, you shallow, beautiful people, you know, how dare you try to look uh, more youthful and healthy. <laughs> but when you look deeper into the science, you know, they're actually on to something. They just really haven't had the right tools. Lastly, will there be a patient two, patient three, patient four anytime soon? And as an adjunct to that question, will they be older so that perhaps visible signs of the treatments would be more noticeable? Well, I, I certainly hope so. We're looking for funding now. We really want to start running some trials in older folks, uh, people who are actually terminally ill. You know, a lot of people say, you know, shouldn't a terminally ill person have taken these therapeutics? And I absolutely agree. But we just ethically couldn't do it. We didn't have any, at that time, international review board uh, that would have come up and, and said, yeah, you know, go ahead and, and shove these two therapeutics even into somebody who is dying because we really don't work on true bioethics. You know, we think that letting people die and, um, you know, and suffer from disease is ethical. And in fact, it's not. So we need to uh, now raise money to do formal trials uh, 
probably very likely offshore, so that we can collect that data. And yes, they will be in, in persons who are afflicted by a specific disease and have specific symptoms so that we have a cohort that makes sense and we can prove that these therapeutics work. Well, thank you, Ms. Parrish. Uh, thank you very much for appearing on the Longevity Now podcast. Well, thanks for having me. It was a great time. Please keep in mind that this BioViva trial was well-researched and considered fairly low risk. The only person that could be directly harmed by negative side effects is Liz herself. Be sure to keep this in mind for the many treatments that are sure to proliferate in coming years. Anti-aging research has been marred quite often in the past by snake oil salesmen and just plain incompetence. That being said, I look forward to a new era in human health. Fewer headlines and more concrete results. Until next time, I'm Justin Lowe.